The passage that was read this morning finds its deep, deep root in chapter 4 as well as chapter 5. It is impossible to grasp with 10 or 15 minutes or 20 for that matter just what is being said in verses 9 and 10. But what I want to do very briefly is to give you an overview of what we have in chapter 4, and then to get to chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. My focus this morning is on verses 9 and 10. As said, these verses are connected to the entire scene in chapter 4. The language is filled with symbolic expressions. I, I thought it would be interesting if I gave children a picture and from this, a, a piece of paper, I'm sorry, and ask him to draw a picture of Jesus from what this text is saying, it would be interesting to see what all kinds of interesting f- scenes we would get from that. For the language is quite symbolic. He had eyes, seven eyes, and, and you know, that looks almost like a monster. But that's not what he's saying. Jesus is not full of eyes. It is talking about what we call in theology the omniscience, the all-knowing. Seven horns talking about his omnipotence, knowing, uh, dealing with his all-powerful. So these are symbolic language which we cannot get into this morning. From the position John was at, he saw in the, 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 the scene that was happening. And as he sees the scene, he is he hears something going on. He sees an angel. This angel is strong and, and, and full of energy and life with a voice that booms like an earthquake. And this angel proclaims, who is worthy to open the book or to look into it? I want you to understand something of what this angel is doing. When he speaks, who is able to open the book and to look into it? The text says, he said this to the creatures in heaven. He said this to the creatures on earth. And so as not to miss anyone, if there was someone in the past who would have fit this bill at the time, he said, under the earth. Imagine the universal call of this voice of the angel. No one can fathom the authority of that voice. But the voice is concerned because in the book or the scroll are the hidden secrets of all the history of the human race. And if, that, if we are to know how time and history is going to end, there has to be someone capable of receiving the book from the hands of God and to be able to look into it. So John says, as he heard the voice, who is worthy? He's waiting. And he's waiting to see if there would be any response from heaven. Who is worthy? And no one was able to come. On earth, who is worthy? No one. 
under the earth. No one. And we are told that as a result of the fact that John conscious of the fact that unless someone is able to open the scroll and to read and to look into it, that it would be forever hidden from the human mind how history is going to come to an end and who is going to do it. And John begins to weep. I want you to understand that John was not crying. He was weeping. It's, it's one thing to see a man cry, but it is something else to see or to hear a man weep. Because when he is weeping, he is more than sobbing. It is almost as if he, he is besides himself. Because what was so important to John, what was important to the church, all those things are hidden in the mind of God, written in this scroll. And it is important that the scroll be received from the hands of God and that someone was able, like I said, not only to open it, but to accomplish it. And as John is weeping, one of the elders tapped him on the shoulder. And said, John, stop weeping. You can stop crying. Because there's one who is able to do it. He said, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I, I want you to see something. When John looked, instead of seeing a lion, he sees a lamb. Now that's significant. What is going on here? The elder said, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when John looked, he sees a lamb. Well, let's see if we can get into the text and find out just what is happening here. So because the lamb then, the lion, which is the lamb, is able to receive from God the scroll, immediately there is a new song. There is a celebratory attitude going on in heaven. The song was new in compared to Comparison to the other song. Not the old song, but the other song. We shall see in a minute. And they began the song by singing, Worthy. Worthy. What a word. What John is saying that he saw in heaven, there was an admiration for the Lamb. They were admiring they were not giving something to the Lamb. You are worthy. They were saying something about the Lamb. That when there was no one in heaven, the celestial beings in heaven could not answer the call of the angels. The best philosopher, theologian on the earth could not answer who is worthy. The past in human history you look at Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of Isaiah, of Nehemiah. None of them would be able to do what was required from the hands of God.
but the lamb was. And he was worthy. The word worthy comes from a word which means to be weighty. To be weighty. When you say someone carries their weight around, they're not talking about how much they weigh. They're talking about the substance of the person's character. And to say that he was worthy is to say that he had everything that was required to open the book. He was qualified. And he was worthy because in him there was everything that God would want, designed, called for. The question of the angel was to be answered by God himself. And he wanted John to see this. I ask you this morning, as we come to the table of the Lord, what is your estimate of Jesus? They admired him. Worthy. It is almost as if they had lost the sense of their environment and they were raptured up into the worth of Jesus. He was the pearl of great price. He stands alone from every creature. No angel above is equal to the Lamb. No human being born of a woman is worthy as the Lamb is. Do we not sing the song sometimes? How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. I ask you this morning as we're here about to go to the table, what is your estimate of Jesus? Worthy. Without you, without you, we would forever be lost as to the future because there was no one found worthy to open the book. But you are there. You are there. I want to drive this home this morning if I can, and only the Holy Spirit can do this, my friends. If you do not admire Jesus Christ this morning, you are admiring something less than what your soul requires. If there's any value to your soul this morning, you will admire Jesus. If we, ad if we put value on anything more than we put on Jesus Christ, we're living below the call of God. For the very angels in heaven admire him. And I ask you, as we come to the table, do we admire him as he is to be admired? Worthy. Look at the authority of the Lamb. You are worthy to break the seal. The book was sealed with the eternal plans of God for the consummation of human history. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no other way for that book to be opened, to look into it. The secret of the end is reserved in the mind of God. And God had decreed beforehand 
that not only was the lamb was going to be the one who receives the book, who opens it, but the lamb was going to be the one who carries out what was to be read, what was to be revealed. If God acknowledging, acknowledges the worth of the lamb, look at it, look at verse 1 of chapter 5. And I saw in the right hand of him, one who sat on the throne, a book written. And when, when, when he was found to be the one worthy, he took the book from the hand of God. Look at this. He took it because God was giving it to him. He didn't have to yank it. He didn't have to debate about it. God was willing to release the book to the lamb. Interestingly enough, isn't it? Not to the lion, so to speak, but to the lamb. Because you see, the lamb was going to prevail to do that. And all that in the mind of God that was required for the book to be opened was found in the lamb. Why? Because of what the lamb was going to do in order to open the book. Look, if you please, in verse 4. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold the line of the tribe of Judah and the root of Jesse, of David, has overcome, or as the King James translation says, has prevailed so as to open the book. What did he do? What was the prevailing thing that he's talking about? Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion speaks, my friends, of the judgment. The lion comes to judge, to reign, to annihilate anyone that is not in line with him. I, I sometimes watch, well, I, I watch it a lot of time. A lot of my TV watching will, will do with either sports and now that Football is here. I'm, I'm just going crazy because I'm not a great football fan uh, to the chagrin of some of my friends listening to me right now. <laughs> but I like to spend my time on the History Channel and especially the Animal cha uh, Channel. And, and I will, I'm watching those lions that are going after their prey. And sometimes... I was watching one two days ago or something, and I watched this lion, how he was mauling a giraffe. And I was sitting there. Now it's crazy, isn't it? I'm sitting there saying, oh, I want that giraffe to turn around and give him a kick. That will just. <laughs> I always want to see that lion lose. But they, they seldom ever lose. They have power. They have authority. And you see, my friends, it the first coming of Jesus, he came as a lamb. The second coming of Jesus, he's going to come as a lion. There's a fellow by the name of Bill Moore, M-O-H-R, I think is his name. He is vile. He's vile. And I heard him the other day poking fun of Jesus 
And I said to myself, one day, my friends, you will bow. You will bow one day. You, are, you, you, are, you happen to be living at the time of the Lamb. But the day will come when that Lamb who is the Lion will call you to give an account and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and those who make fun of Christ during the period of the Lamb will have to answer to the period of the Lion. What did he do? I saw a lamb as if it were slain. You see, my friends, God wasn't conquering the world by force. He was conquering through the, the apparent innocence of a lamb. That is how God works. Dr. J. Vernon McGee wrote this, the lion speaks of the character at his second coming to judge. The lamb speaks of his first coming in humility as described in Philippians chapter 2. Though he was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, he could have come as a lion. Someone else has written, I love this, none but a an inspired composer, none but a, an inspired composer of heavenly visions would ever have thought of it. When earth-bound men want symbols of power, they conjure up mighty beasts and birds of prey. Russia wants to show you its power so their symbol is a bear. France wants to show you its power, so they show you a tiger. England wants to show you its power. What's theirs? A lion. The United States wants to show you its power, a spread eagle. What will God use to show his power? A lamb. A lamb. Completely contrast. See, the world conquers by force. Isn't that that killed so many people in Nairobi two nights ago? People shopping at a shopping mall. And those who want to conquer went in with bayonets and bombs and so on and killed innocent people. We are to be thankful that we're in the period of the Lamb. You know, friends, you've heard me saying this before, but it bears repeating. Luther, the reformer, said, if I were God and the world treats me the way they're treating him, I'd send a whole bunch to hell. I am glad that Luther was not God. You know, there are times when my, my mother would say to me, don't let me come to where you are. The lion was speaking. <laughs> let me read something for you from Colossians quickly. 
Colossians chapter 2. I want you to listen carefully. Verses 14 and 15, Colossians 2. Listen to this. Perhaps from 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Here it is, verse 14. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them. He prevailed. That's the audacity of the Lamb. In that innocent life on the cross, God was redeeming men and saying to evil, your time, your days are numbered. So when we come to the table, friends, we don't come as defeated people. We come as people who are in a long line of people who have been marching behind the triumphant Christ. And John says, one of the, uh, Paul says, one of these days, the heavens will open and the trumps shall resound. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive shall be caught up with them together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's our future. That's what, that is what is ahead for us. <laughs> I heard someone saying, I don't worry about what's happening in Washington or any other place because I've read the last chapter of Revelation. I know how it's going to end. Let me go to what I call the grandeur. The sheer inexpressible beauty of the benefits of the cross. In chapter 4, verse 4, we have the song of creation. In chapter 5, verse 10, verse 9 and 10, we have the new song in that the song performs a different function. In 4.4, it was creation song. In 5.9, it is redemption song. I have a song I love to sing since I have been redeemed, so to speak. The new song is about the Lamb. From here on, every time there is talk about he who sits upon the throne, you will find, and the Lamb, and the Lamb. Redemption was accomplished for us. And, and now, and now, these are the benefits that have come to us because in the communion we celebrate not only what Jesus Christ has done, but what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us as a result of having done it. The first thing we have is what I call an incalculable alliance. Listen to what verse 9 says. You are worthy because you are able to break the seals. His death on the cross accomplishes that. We don't have to look at it anymore. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He made us a kingdom, 
a kingdom, an alliance. He made us, if you please, a community, a communion. That's what the word means. It means, my friends, that, that, that in a real sense, e pluribus unum is only true when Christ's blood trumps every other bloodline. We will, we will work until whatever time you want to work. And we will never be able to make men sit with men as brothers. Because they might even have the same mother and the same father. Unless the blood of Christ has cleansed them, they will never be able to live as one. Who, who can imagine this? The thing that will bring us together. Every tongue. That means, my friends, that there are people who have a different way of speaking as we do. Every nation who comes from a different part of the world. People who have, who have backgrounds that could lead to royalty, if you please. <laughs> we, when we were in England several years ago, we went to a place, and the name of this place was Thurton. Oh, you can imagine how good I felt. Thurton. I don't know how my ancestors got that name. I can assume it. But all oh, friends, I have a greater heritage from the blood of Christ than the heritage from my parents. If you please, you have a better heritage. You see, because you are here this morning because you have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. And the Lamb has broken down every barrier so that we can come and sit here and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And we are convinced and we're committed to that cause. He has made us a, a kingdom. We belong to one another. You know, I always think of this. It's a good thing the Bible says we shall all be changed. Because I, I say this without any reference to anything, believe me. If we can't live with one another here on earth, the only, we'll be, the only way we'll be able to live with one another in heaven is if he changes us. He has to do that. Because some of us are still steep, steep in our bloodline. But the text says that God reached over into that tribe and that nation and that people and that, that tongue. And he has brought from, from those people, people who can't even live with one another. And he has brought them together from the different sphere of, spheres of life and he has made them one. That's the work of the Lamb. For the community we are this morning, friends, Jesus had to shed his blood Nothing else will bring us together. Incalculable alliance. But there's also what I call an imposing access. Not only are we a community, but what kind of a community are we? We are a community of priests. Of priests. Some denominations have it where only certain people can be priests. But all oh, friends, not so. Not so. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 says that God has made us a royal priesthood. 
you, 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 are, you are a part of those people, a long line of people who have this imposing, authorized access to God. And the function of a priest, the function of a priest was, is mostly to intercede on the behalf of others. But I thought of that, we hear that all the time. But I want to speak of another function of the priest. A function of the priest, my friends, is found for us in Psalm 34 and verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What the priest does, a priest enjoys God and invites others to enjoy God with him or with her. Let me, let me tell you what I have discovered. And we offer to him the sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise. So that when we come to the table, there's a sense of gratitude. There's a sense of celebration. There's a sense of contentment. There's a sense of hope. Because all of those are the benefits that I have in being a part of the kingdom of God as a priest. And I can actually so enjoy, I can delight myself in the Lord that my delight becomes an invitation for you to join me in loving him, in serving him, in worshiping him, in adoring him, in obeying him. Made us a kingdom of priests. May I, may I suggest this just for the sake of emphasis? Please remember, please remember that not every person who is born has this access. The only people who have this, this imposing access to God are those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Do you get that? This table is telling you that as a child of God, God has opened heaven for you to enjoy him right now. Right now. So we have this incalculable alliance. We have this imposing access. And then we have this incomprehensible acclaim. Look at verse 10. And now I'm just touching on the surface of this. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. Look at the last line. And they will reign upon the earth. I spent quite a bit of time on that. Because you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say they will rule the earth. It says they will reign upon the earth. Now there's some ruling involved, but that's not what it is saying here. To say that they will rule or reign upon the earth is not to suggest that later on in the future all of God's people will be running around with little crowns on their head and having thrones that they're sitting on. That's not the idea. To reign means to live above, to live free from those things that used to interfere with our lives. To be free from sickness. To be free from pain. To be free from criticism. 
to be freed from criticizing, to be freed, my friends, from anything that would stop us from enjoying the benefits of heaven in that place, in the millennium period and beyond, we will never again face obstacles to life so that we might enjoy it to the fullest because of what the Lamb has done. That's the promise that God has for us. I want you to see something. There's a sense in which we're reigning right now. Romans 5.17, you can check it for yourself. Romans 5.17 and Ephesians 6 says that spiritually we are reigning right now. Every time we are able to overcome some sin or sinning in our lives, we are reigning over that sin. Every time. Revelation 5.10 says not only is there a spiritual reigning, but there's an actual reigning. We will really be, in, in, as you see us, redeemed, changed. But I look like me. A lot better, I hope. <laughs> and in that day, I will reign with Christ. I will be free from those things that drag me down. I will live above them. And then Revelation 22.5. May I read that quickly? Listen to this as I read Re Revelation 22.5. And there shall no longer be any night... And there will no longer be the need for light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. They will reign forever and ever. There is a spiritual reigning. Then there's an actual reigning. And then there's an eternal reigning. And, and my friends, you know, the other day I went to get some contact lens for my son. And I thought, I thought they said it was going to be $42 for what he needed. But when I got there, guess what? It was 55 And I, I sat for a moment. I thought, I wonder if I should call Christopher and tell him that I need some more money. I didn't do that, of course. Because I'm his father. And I know that he needed those contact lenses because he came back from, from Rome and he said, Dad, I only have one pair left. That was over two weeks ago. And I bought him his contact lenses. And I mailed his contact lenses to him. And so I called him on Monday. I said, did you get them? He said, yes, Dad, they arrived. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I was so happy. You know why? Because I know that because he has his contact lenses, he will see. He will see. And my friend, as I carry that into the spiritual, there will come a day when we no longer will need contact lenses. Because we're reigning with him, we will see as we should have been seeing all along. There is coming a time... If you please, if I may use Stan, when that bed that he's been on for 38 years, he's no longer needed. He's reigning in life. And he doesn't need that. My friends, I'm saying to you this morning that the benefits of the cross is such that you and I are to be thankful every day that one, 
Jesus not only opened the book, but he will actually be the one who orchestrates everything, how the world is in, so that the world, listen, the world cannot do without Christ, but we are following Christ. They may make, make fun of him. They may use his name unadvisedly. But listen, you and I know who he is. And because we know who he is, we know that life will not always be like this. We know that. Listen to, as I close, things which eye has not seen, ears have not heard, and that which have not entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. No eye has seen in the past, no ear has heard in the present. It has never entered into the minds of anyone the benefits that we have already received and the eternal benefits that will be ours because the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth made it possible for God to come to where you and I are and to bless us with the blessings of life and with those blessings in that day, there will be nothing to say but what the elders said. Amen. Amen. If Jesus Christ is the Lamb and has provided for me because all the promises of God are in him, yea and amen. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, Oh, I pray that what I did not say in this word, the Spirit of God will say in the hearts of those who have listened. But oh God, may there be something much, much more for us in our Christian life than simply being saved. We are a kingdom. We are a kingdom of priests. Let our lives be an invitation to one another to enjoy God and to glorify him forever. In Jesus' name, amen.